Song number 17, and as we mark that and make preparation for its usage, as we sing that together somewhat later in the service time tonight, it again is, would be certainly appropriate to appreciate the blessings that each of us have been able to experience to be able to gather again tonight. Many who are sick, many who have already been named today are unable to be with us and our minds continue to rush in their direction as we pray that things might be better with them much, much sooner. In fact, also those families continuing their, their suffering in the matter of grief as they deal with their losses. As we're thankful for the blessing it's ours tonight, might we give thought to a gentleman, an episode discovered and found even in the reading before us in just a few moments ago, as we noted, and as we look also at that interesting set of features surrounding this man that was blind. I would invite you to come with me tonight to the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. And we will specifically look at more of the interest of Mark's version of this particular case. The lesson tonight is Lessons from Blind Bartimaeus. As we think about this gentleman, this man who in fact was blind, and yet this episode, inasmuch as the Savior encountered him, and his life would forever not be the same. Some introductory thoughts that point us and lead us into the characterization of the lesson tonight might again be a reflection of this Word of God to which we have already sung about and also that we now have the opportunity to consider. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That Word of God to which we have in fact sung earlier is a very thought now that reminds us it is quick and it is also active meaning that these lessons that we encounter despite the fact that Bartimaeus has long since passed from the earthly scenes of this life. Nonetheless, this incident, this episode, is one that the Holy Spirit has seen fit to record and from it. You and I can benefit, we can be encouraged, and we can in fact learn some matters that can be of great assistance and help to us. For each of us, it's certainly fair to say that the Word of God highlights those matters which are our strengths, and for that we can be so thankful because it encourages us to even more mature in those matters and to continue that walkway of faith that allows us to utilize those talents and abilities in even more far-reaching ways. But it's also fair to say that this book brings to our attention those shortcomings, those sins, those failures on our part, and in so doing, it urges our tender response and obedience and our striving to improve in those matters. It might well be that with regard to Bartimaeus, we could even appreciate perhaps more than one of each one of those cases and considerations. For that reason, one of the bottom statements on that slide tonight is this one. This perhaps would be an unforgettable episode for each of us as we revisit this scene from the 10th chapter of the book of Mark. Because of that fact, let's again rehearse the very thing that was just read for us a moment ago. Jesus and His disciples had arrived at this city of Jericho, and as they were shortly to depart that city and in fact leave, they were bound for Jerusalem. That was the place, of course, where the Savior ultimately would meet His death. And as we will recall, many incidents and many events happened to Him on this journey toward that fateful end in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, as he left Jer Jericho, we noticed that there was a man, a beggar, this one who sat beside the wayside, and he began to appreciate something was unusual. It may well be that 
perhaps every day for a long, long time, this man named Bartimaeus had sat in this same location and he was very well aware of the typical tendencies of the day. Something was different. He heard that Jesus was coming by this way. No doubt the crowd was larger, the throng was larger, there was more hustle and bustle in the area. He no doubt asked many questions and he learned that Jesus was coming this way. You might notice again the statement of what he did when he learned or gained information that Jesus was passing this way. It is found in verse number 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus, when he learned, when he became aware that Jesus was here passing by, he began to cry out. It is significant that he didn't merely whisper. He didn't merely somewhat innocently strive to gain the attention of the Master. He cried out, the text says. But it goes on to say that many urged him to hold his peace. They perhaps gave him advice. They gave him counsel. You need to be quiet. Don't bother the Master at this time. He is on his way. He has more important business. There are more pressing matters, Bartimaeus, than to deal with you. That did not deter him. You might again notice the reading of verse 48. Many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't the text a bit powerful in that it says, He cried the more a great deal. Bartimaeus would not be dissuaded. He would not be deterred. He would not be made to be quiet. We notice that in fact Jesus in verse number 49 stood still. He was aware of the plight of this man. He not only was aware of it, but it says he stood still. He paused in his journey. He stopped in his travel. But then he gave a commandment. Verse number 49. He commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Can you imagine the good news that filled the heart of Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus, the master has heard your plea. He has heard your request. He has called for you. I suspect, and it's probably a safe statement, that in all the days since he had been blind, never had he heard news that good. Never had he heard news that was to be that overwhelming and that positive. The Master has heard you, Bartimaeus. Not only has he heard you, he has called for you. The last verses again read as follows. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. He rose, cast aside his garment. Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said to him, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. This gentleman that was blind, a mere beggar he was just a few moments earlier, but then after the Lord had heard him and after the Lord had called for him and after the Lord had pronounced him whole... We notice that verse 52 ended by saying he did in fact receive his sight and he in fact followed Jesus in the way. The statements on this slide as it rehearses for us the given scene leads us to notice his conclusion was oh so positive and it was oh so moving and compelling in this life of the man named Bartimaeus. 
It all ended with, of course, him receiving his sight. Mark isn't the only inspired writer that's recorded this for us. In fact, as we come to appreciate some of the lessons to be found in it, we shall have occasion to notice a few words from Luke's gospel account as well. As we've rehearsed the scene in the episode, I wonder what things there might be in it that could be meaningful in a very particular way for you and me as we strive to live in a godly way before the God of heaven today. Although many lessons might be brought, here are just a few of them. The first lesson, of course, seems to be this. I would urge all of us to reflect, at least for the next few moments, on a lesson that might be involved with this title, What Others Think. Rehearse with me what had transpired. Here was a beggar. It may well be that on many occasions he had been an outcast of society. It might well be on many occasions he had simply been an afterthought to many and had been an afterthought to the activities of others. It may well be he had little interaction in society. It may be he was of little respect and little interest in the lives of others. Did you notice, though, what else even beyond that took place? Even after his initial cry, there were many who charged him. Don't be bothering the master. The language especially read like this. Many charged him, verse 48, that he should hold his peace. Here was one who was disturbing the peace. Here was one who was causing an uproar. Who was one that was deterring the master from his primary mission, or so they thought. It was time, Bartimaeus, for the master to give his attention to others who were more of impressiveness, who were more of reputation, who were those of greater need perhaps than you. It was in that sense that they urged him to hold his peace. May we suggest that that does make a very interesting lesson. There were others who gave him advice, others who gave him counsel, and Bartimaeus could have followed it. In the interest of making peace, and in the interest of doing what they said, in the interest of appeasing their wishes, he could simply have held his peace, allowed Jesus to pass right on by, innocently remained quiet from that time forward. The people would have been happy, but he would have remained a blind man. What others think can have a great impact on us, can't it? It may be times when you and I are so sorely tempted to allow ourselves and our thinking and our actions to be determined by the court of public opinion, to allow what others think to determine in large measure what we believe, what we shall do, what we shall say, what we shall think. Bartimaeus, we might suggest, acted more wisely than that on this occasion, didn't he? He did not allow what others thought to dictate what he would do. The text went on to say, He cried out the more notably. He cried out all the more. He wished to gain the attention of the Master, and he wished to follow what he believed to be the proper matter at that time and at that moment. What others think. Today, isn't it so tempting, and doesn't it occur so very often? not just in the political realm, but in many others as well, to where individuals, and sometimes even you and I, more so than allowing this book to determine the truth, we are more interested in what someone else thinks. What will he think about this? Will he be my friend any longer? What will she think about this? Will she put me at a distance and no longer be my closest associate? 
What about those whom I associate with at work? Will I be labeled as an outcast? And will I no longer be accepted as one of the group and one who is in on that which takes place in the work site? Those at school, as we give consideration, they often feel a great deal of pressure. Our youngsters come home and tell us about the kinds of things that take place in school, and maybe we remember when we ourselves were there. We can remember how hurtful, how brutal, how cruel, how unloving, how mean, how evil, and oftentimes how insistent things can be toward prompting, prompting and moving in the direction of what the crowd thinks. May we never forget Bartimaeus. He didn't simply let the crowd dictate what he would do. He knew that there was the master nearby, and he wished more than anything else at that moment to gain his favor, his attention, for he might be healed. Today, let's not allow others to determine simply what we believe and what we think and what we shall do, but rather let us appreciate that there is a far higher sentence of power than that. Several passages from Scripture perhaps rush to our minds. In Acts, the third chapter, it was on that occasion that, of course, a great miracle and a very notable one was done when one who sat at that beautiful gate of the Solomonic Temple. We recall that Peter and John on that occasion, specifically Peter, as he proclaimed in verses 14 to 16 of Acts chapter 3, this man was made whole. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this man rose up and walked. As he did so, what an overwhelming scene was brought to bear in the vicinity of Jerusalem. A notable miracle was done, and the Jews and the Sadducees and the others could not refute it. As Peter and John and others stood and proclaimed that Jesus of Nazareth, who has been resurrected and who in fact was the one that healed him, the crowd was in a means of disarray trying to understand how do we refute this miracle? Here we are, unbelievers in Jesus, and yet they preached that it was Him who healed this man. They were beside themselves. They could not figure out an answer. Finally, they called in Peter and John and said, Don't you preach any more in the name of this man. We don't want to hear any more about this Jesus of Nazareth. We don't want to hear any more preaching about a resurrection. Peter and John said, Gentlemen, we have a problem. The God of heaven has told us to preach it. You are telling us not to preach it. We ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 You see, they had more of an interest in what God said rather than what the crowd did. And thanks be to God, they preached about Jesus of Nazareth. They preached about the resurrection. And all of Jerusalem, it seems, came to hear the wonderful message of truth. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it there reads that even a great company of the priests became obedient to the faith. The very ones who were the chief enemies at one point became the greatest ones who had accepted the message of truth. You might also appreciate that in light of that statement in Acts 5, 29, in the previous chapter, in Acts 4, verses 18 and 19, we remember that another statement that Peter and John made was this one. They commented so notably, and they commented with such power of conviction as they made statements like this, Be it known unto you that this man was healed by Jesus of Nazareth and was through his power, and that we 
are believers. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It might be that that prompts us to think again about what others think. You and I are convinced and convicted, just as we sang a moment ago, Give me the Bible. We believe this book to be the absolute message of faith, and it's powerful. Far more than any man, any group of men, any council of young high school people. May we thus not give thought to what people think in as much as letting it determine what we believe and how we shall act. Let us follow again the example in this sense of Bartimaeus. But perhaps another lesson as well, even in light of this one, it also prompts us to consider another attribute of this blind man, his persistence. Do not bypass the thought again. Here was one who had every insistence by others, be quiet. But yet it says he cried all the more loudly. He cried all the more noticeably. He was a persistent man. Perhaps that suggests to us too at least a few moments reflection upon the matter of persistence. After all, didn't he meet opposition? He was blind. Here he was in need of helpfulness of others. There were other instances of those blind in the Scriptures who remember sad and ask alms of those passing by. That was the means by which they had their livelihood. Maybe that was what this man was doing. At any rate, he of course was in a dire predicament. He didn't have a welfare system like we have today to assist those in that condition. He was dependent upon the giving kindness of others. And yet, we find that here he was in a position in which he was nonetheless persistent. When Jesus was passing by, even when others encouraged him to remain calm and quiet, he chose all the more notably in the words of verses 49 and 50. It says, he cried the more a great deal. Persistence. It may be you and I have heard many instances and occasions, be it our parents, be it otherwise, who said, don't give up. Even when you encounter that which is not pleasant, and even when you encounter what appears to be insurmountable obstacles, nonetheless, in an attribute and in an element of faith, don't quit. If you believe it to be proper, if you believe it to be right, and if it is in harmony with propriety and rightness, don't give up. It might be that that still is a notable lesson, isn't it? The cause of Christ appeared to be doomed. There were just a band of a few, like twelve. He had selected this chosen few. It seems so many of the Jews had rejected him. So many of those round about had little interest in the teachings of what he had to say. The Sadducees turned a deaf ear to him. Many of the Pharisees did too. And yet we remember that he even in the final penultimate apparent statement of defeat, he himself was put to death. But yet from the embers of what appeared to be nothingness arose the greatest movement the world has ever known. And today we still benefit from the preciousness and power and might of what the God of heaven brought to bear through the death of His only begotten Son. Because of the gospel, because of the faith that is understood and the obedience to be appreciated in it, we today are still the living testimony of those who believe absolutely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This religion isn't just one of many, it's the only one. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those were the words of the Master in John 14, 6. 
Did he not say three verses later, speaking on that occasion to Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The reality of what Jesus then appreciates and what he allows us to appreciate is the fact of an impressiveness and persistence. Our missionaries, as they come back and speak to us about this reality and the things that they often face, we should realize that we too face difficulties and obstacles. There are those that, quite frankly, think that we are goofy to meet the way that we do. They honestly believe that one doesn't need to meet, one doesn't need to assemble, one doesn't need to read this book, one doesn't need to pray, one doesn't need to really do anything but to have some matter of mental ascent, some degree of even minor conviction that there was a man named Jesus and that he died for my sins, and that's enough. On the day of judgment, they will find themselves sordid eluded. They will find themselves by those who are reckoned as disobedient. For the Lord does demand more than that. He demands that we, with all of our being, have conviction and dedication and devotion to His declaration and His decrees. We notice here that that demands our persistence. It isn't going to be easy. There are going to be times we're going to wonder about things. There will be occasions that incidents and events will transpire and we can't help but ask, Why? Why did it happen that way? It may be that as we search this book with the greatest of intent, even then, we can only wonder at the fullness of the answers. But we should have every confidence that there will be a day when all the truth will be revealed and we will understand, and we will understand it fully. To give thought about persistence, Jesus did say in Luke 18, did He not, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. It is easy to faint, isn't it? It is easy to lose heart. It is easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be in despair. It can even be easy to, in fact, lose one's appreciation of incredible devotion. But may we not do so. May we realize that just as Bartimaeus did, the Master is nearby and I need to cling tenaciously to Him and not to these other things in society. Not to what I may think or what others may think, but to what He has revealed. Oh, what strength there is to be found in that way of life. It may be that you, like myself, have known individuals who were bedrock solid in the faith of the Lord. They, in fact, could walk through this life, and it seems no matter what befell round about them, their eyes never veered from the great reality of heaven beyond. We love individuals like that who truly do know the peace of God that passes all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. And we appreciate those like that who, in Ephesians 3, verses 15 to 21, it is they who understand, it seems better than many others, that the love of Christ indeed passes all knowledge. Persistence, you see, is a great thing, isn't it? And as often as the Bible encourages it of us, it helps us see that those who endure to the end shall be saved, Matthew 10, 22. And we're reminded yet again from Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. These two lessons perhaps hasten us to give thought to a third one. Even beyond the matter of persistence, and even beyond the issue of not allowing others to dictate what to you and me is truth, we also come to notice that Jesus does respond. 
Here was one. Maybe he had given hope. We are not told how long he had cried. It may have been several minutes. It may have been a number of minutes, in fact. But yet the master, it says, did stand still. And he gave commandment for Bartimaeus to be called. Jesus responds, We must, in fact, have the confidence that just as that promise is uttered to us here in light of the statement to Bartimaeus, it also reminds us today that we can give thought to some of the promises and some of the statements to be found in the Word of God as it relates to issues like that one. Jesus responds, When the Bible reminds us that He does hear, it points us in verses and it points us in directions that are highlighted in some of the statements like these. We could dip back into the, third, into the 34th Psalm and find in verses 15, 16, and 17 that even David in that long and ancient day was very mindful of the fact that the God of heaven will hear and He will react and He will respond. It's not as if He is merely one who is at a distance and He is one who has no interest in the well-being of those who are His children. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, Proverbs 15, 3. We notice in 1 Peter 3, verse number 12, that the following statement is also made, For the eyes of the Lord are over His children, and His ears are open unto their prayers. When you and I bow our heads in prayer, when we lift up our thoughts in prayer, can we not appreciate that there is in fact a God of heaven who not only is there and who is watchful, but is mindful of the things that you and I have to say, mindful of the disposition of our heart, mindful of the troubles that we face, and mindful of the situation of our mind and hopeful that we in strength and in fortitude will emerge in a victorious way from the things that we face. Many years ago there was a song and if memory serves me right, it was rather popular. Although I do not remember all of the words of it. Some of them went like this. God is watching us at a distance. The whole sentiment of the song, and in fact even others more recent have stated it more carefully and even more powerfully, that God is in fact one who set the wheels of the universe in motion, and He is watching us from a far distance. He doesn't intercede. He doesn't act. He doesn't do anything. He just watches. As Christians, we can't believe that. For we know, just as the Savior promised in 1, Peter 3, or 1 John 3.22, He is of a mindset to hear and to respond. We did notice He did that in this instance, didn't He? There might be times as we appreciate that thought that we still wonder why His response doesn't come as quickly as we want. Why it doesn't come as immediately as we prefer. In all matters like that, we must bow and say, Thy will be done. James 4 verses 2 and 3 urge us to appreciate that that is, and that must be a thought that rests always on our mind. May we never forget that in the Garden of Gethsemane, our Savior prayed, Let this cup pass from me. The events of the next day would be more harrowing than you and I can perhaps imagine more filled with burden and load, more filled with difficulty and mental anguish because of the burden of sin carried that day. He did say, let this cup pass from me, but did He not qualify it like this? When He said, 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus was of a desire to ever have the will of the Father to be promoted and to have the will of the Father to be done. Bartimaeus on this occasion helps us appreciate too that the Lord responded in his case, Heal that man. Here was one who a few moments earlier blind he had been, and now he was able to follow the Master in the way for he had been healed. Jesus can heal, of course, in the way today, principally and prominently when we give thought to the healing nature available from sin. A man whose life has been overcome with any sin can be forgiven if he will repent, if he will confess it, and if he will, in fact, obey the commandments of the Master. What power is found in Jesus? No matter what the sin may have been, the Lord's blood can forgive it. No sin is too black. No sin is too dark. No sin is too evil, but what the blood of Jesus can cleanse it. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that powerful? To give thought to that attribute of the scene before us, we can see yet one more time, even in those eventful scenes of the revelation, how that the Lord responded. When that sixth seal was open, and the characteristics of the things seen in it, and the difficulty we noticed that the Master was still there. He hadn't abandoned them. He hadn't forgotten them. Perhaps all those things hasten us to the final lesson of our consideration tonight. It's one that I entitled, A Healing Faith. I would invite you to notice again the language our Savior employed in the 52nd verse of that same chapter. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. It was the case, wasn't it, that Jesus... First and foremost made observation, your faith hath made you whole. Think with me for a moment about how that happened. Bartimaeus' faith prompted him to call, even when maybe it wasn't the proper thing for the, in the mind of others. Even when it wasn't the thing that many others encouraged him to do, he did it. And furthermore, even when others encouraged him to stop, he still was such that his faith prompted him to act. It prompted him to call. It prompted him to request. And when Jesus came to him and said, Bartimaeus, what would you want? What would you like? He said, that I may receive my sight. His faith prompted him to act upon that which was the thing that was proper at that time, and that was to gain the Master's attention and to seek to be healed. May we suggest that at least in parallel principle, that same thing remains true today. When our faith prompts us to act in faith, when it prompts us to act by virtue of the command that the Master has given, and we respond in faithful obedience to that, we too are such that our faith will have made us whole. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Isn't it amazing and isn't it interesting that in light of that thought, so many verses prompt us to see ones like this. Galatians 2 verse 8 again reminds us that that which avails before God is faith which acts in love. Does your faith and mine prompt us to act in love? Does it prompt us to act in obedience? Does it prompt us to not be guided by what others think? Does it prompt us to be persistent? Does it prompt us to believe that Jesus will respond? In all those instances, it does allow us to close the lesson and say it this way. 
in James 2, verses 17 and 18, we find that even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Your faith and mine is manifested. It's exemplified. It's shown, if you will, by the things that we do. Bartimaeus was so prompted that he did gain the attention of the Master, and he gained his sight. Have you and I gained our spiritual sight? Are we continuing to possess that sight by virtue of living faithfully in the lovely light of the blessed beauty of the Christ of, of heaven? In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 8, that very description is given. The light of the glorious gospel has been shown in our direction. Can you and I use it to see? Are we using it to see? As the lesson tonight draws to its conclusion, we may summarize some of it in the following way. Bartimaeus was a changed man from this day forward. It would appear that not only did he gain his sight, but he followed the Master from that time, according to verse 52. Tonight, what about you and me? Are we persistent like him? Are we one who has gained our sight and thus faith has made us whole? Are we one who does not allow others to dictate what, merely what we think and do? And are we also one who, in the light of what we've studied this evening, is of a careful understanding of the response of Jesus? Tonight, if you are an alien sinner, having never come to the Master, don't remain in that state. You have heard the saving message of truth. Why not come to Him this evening? The baptismal waters are behind me, are prepared and ready. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Repent of the sins in your life, confess His marvelous name, and be baptized humbly and simply. If you have become a member of the body of Christ, and by faith have walked for a while in the lovely light of Christ Jesus our Lord, but you in time have come no longer to walk in that way, Maybe like Bartimaeus, it's time for you again to call for the Master. And tonight, He is more than excited to respond to your call. You need to come down this aisle if things have been public in character and let us pray on your behalf. We'd be honored to do that. If either of these things would be the need tonight of your life, why would you not let that be known while together we stand and while we sing?